everyone. I am Emily Landers, and this is How'd She Do That? A podcast answering that question each episode. Welcome, you guys. Welcome to today's episode. I am so happy that you're here. If this is your first time tuning in to How'd She Do That? I want to extend a special welcome to you, a very special welcome. And if you listen every week, Thank you. If you're a longtime listener, you come back every week. You know that new episodes come out on Tuesdays. I have loved connecting with so many of you. And I feel so lucky because I obviously I have the inside scoop of what's coming up with the podcast, guests that we're going to have on. And let me just say, we have the most amazing lineup. And today's guest, she heightens that lineup. She takes us across the pond. Sarah Brown, the founder of Pi Skincare, is joining me today. Before we dive in to our incredible conversation, I want to give you guys a quick update. We have so many fun things happening with How'd She Do That? Last week, you'll know that we had another bonus episode in this series that I've been sharing with young entrepreneurs. There has been a massive influx of new businesses started by college students during the uh, coronavirus quarantine, and we have been highlighting them. So last week, we had Abby Gearhart of Sweats by Abby G on the podcast. We did a fun giveaway with her. Stay tuned. You guys are loving this so much. We're going to continue to have bonus episodes on Fridays. So stay tuned. We'll likely have lots of fun giveaways, and hopefully we'll continue to introduce you to some amazing young entrepreneurs. Well, Sarah Brown joins me today. Like I said, she's the founder of Pi Skincare. I hope that you notice in this conversation how quickly we hit it off. Sarah is amazing. You're going to want to stick with this conversation all the way through because at the end, she talks about meeting the queen. Yeah, that's right. Meeting the queen. Here is Sarah Brown on How'd She Do That? Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of How'd She Do That? Today's guest is joining us from across the pond, and I couldn't be happier about it. Sarah Brown is the founder of Pie Skincare, a leading skincare brand specializing in vegan and organic products. Pie's mission is to do the right thing for you and your skin by creating products that are so natural, ethical, and sustainable, they have goodness built in. After experiencing an out-of-the-blue change to her skin, Sarah felt like she had reached a dead end with a cabinet full of products claiming to be organic, but was let down by their ingredient list full of irritants. Sarah set out to create effective skincare she could trust and depend on, and thus began Pi. Pi is everything she wanted as a customer, skincare made with effective organic ingredients, no-nonsense marketing, and a brand that understands products are just one piece of the puzzle. When Sarah isn't overseeing her business or brainstorming new clean products, she is likely relaxing at her home in the UK and enjoying time with her family. Sarah, welcome to How'd She Do That? Emily, lovely to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, well, my pleasure. And we have already been chatting before we record and it's always fun right off the bat. I think we're going to get along. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure of it too. 
Oh, uh, likewise. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. It's uh, in Los Angeles. It's morning, but you are in the afternoon in the UK. And I am just so eager to hear a little bit more about your story. Uh, many of my listeners are uh, recent graduates. They are thinking about what might be next in their career, perhaps pivoting. So I like to start in the beginning, but considering you are from the UK, I want to go even a little further back. I'd love to know, let's start at the beginning beginning. What were your growing up years like? Where are you from? And then we can dive into kind of school and the early years of your career. So I was born in London, uh, but I was born to a British dad and a Kiwi mum. Uh, yeah, so I, I lived here until I was probably about 12 uh, and was schooled in London. And then partly due to my dad's work and partly because my grandparents were in New Zealand, or my grandfather, I should say, um, my dad had an opportunity to move to Australia. So we moved when I was about 13. Um, went So I schooled in Melbourne for about almost four years, uh, which was an incredible experience. And then I came back and did my, what we call A-levels here, which is the, I don't know what you call it, but it's when you're about 17, 18. Uh, and yes, I came back to, came back to the UK for that. Wow. Oh my goodness. Well, that's always fun. I love to get to know my guests just right off the bat. And to think of you being in Australia, that is really cool. And then moving back, and I guess you would consider the majority of your education and then those early years of your career in the UK. What does it look like school-wise? Did you major or focus in on something specific? Uh, what does that look like? So I, I did three A-levels in maths, English, and history. It's worth saying that I was, I would say, very average student academically. I, I I've always had a good work ethic. I think I've always been quite conscientious, so I did work hard, mm. but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, particularly academic. And but I did get into a good university, which was Nottingham University, and I studied history there. It's funny. I, I always loved history at school, and but I think my time there was three years at Nottingham. And I kind of look back at that time with lots of fondness because I made really lifelong friends there. But it, it was, I would say it was quite heavy on the socializing and quite light on the lectures and tutorials. <laughs> and and I live, I mean, I lived with two nurses and I lived with an engineer who both had really punishing schedules. And I it was me and another and a philosophy student who had very little going on in the way of work. <laughs> um, and I think that was the first sort of insight into, hmm maybe I've not picked a very vocational degree <laughs> um, because, you know, they were these, the nurses are still nurses now and very, very proficient ones, I should say. So yes, it was an interesting time, but, but, but lots of fun, I will admit. Oh, yes. And I love to, that's, that's such just a quick encouragement for my listeners of anyone who's listening and perhaps, you know, the academic side might not come on as strongly. I would agree with Sarah. I, I, I find that um, academia was not necessarily my main interest. Socialing definitely was, socializing. <laughs> and so to think of you and, and even, even again, for those of you who are listening who might be a college student and, and that feels like a really um, challenging thing, continue to learn and do your best, do your hard work. But at the same time, I think, um, personality and passion. And like you said, drive is something that can really uh, 
cover up any any kind of oh gosh with 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 schoolwork and whatnot in the real world. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, and I see that now as an employer. You know, mm. we, you know, the, the, the grads from the biggest universities and best universities aren't necessarily the best people to have in your business, mm. and um, it is about. The, those people who are, you know, really accountable and and really committed and really passionate. So I think if I never knew what I wanted to do with my life, mm. and and I think that is totally normal and totally okay. And yeah. and if you're trying to figure out which subjects to to study, I think pick the ones that you feel good at and confident in, and that you enjoy, because yes. that will get you far. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That's such great advice. I love it. Well, my goodness. So you are stepping out with a history degree and major. What was your first role out of school? Maybe how did you land that job? What did that look like for you? Well, I, straight out of school or university, I I w- went into a temporary job just to earn some cash. I really want some cash. I, I did data inputting in a very dull financial services company. And I have to say it was the most mind numbing work, but I mean, I was okay at it, but I wanted to earn some money because I wanted to just have some time out to travel. So straight out of uni, I went traveling for, for a few months, um, which ordinarily I wouldn't talk about, but it was such a formative time in my life that... Um, yeah, it was, I mean, a lot happened in that trip. I got dengue fever. I went to Southeast Asia, had a wonderful time and then contracted dengue fever, was in hospital and then oh. recovered and then was in Indonesia in the middle of a huge coup. So incredible civil unrest, uh, barricaded into a cafe, trying oh. to get out and airports were on fire and it was just an extraordinary time. But I, I do, it's funny, I, the reason I say it is that I think now I've always been someone that's quite good in a crisis. <laughs> Mm. I think that's one of my skills. I think I'm very calm in a crisis. And I do wonder if it came from that because it was an extraordinary trip for someone who was 21 and, you know, not very well versed in these in these times. But anyway, so I came back and I then f- found in that time that I'd been away, living life to the full in, in its extremist <laughs> sense. But I came back and all my friends were in jobs. They were all in flat shares in London. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I need money. Um, but I, I'd sort of thought about it while I was away and decided that advertising was something I really wanted to do. Of course, I knew nothing about advertising. <laughs> um, but I tried to, in trying to get that first job, I wrote a lot of letters. I applied for a lot of um, graduate placements in advertising firms. And I have to say it was a horrendous experience. I um so I what happened? I I had my first interviews, which were honestly horrible and I think quite a good actually it was quite a good lesson to me. I mean, I got torn apart in these interviews. Mm. And and actually you've got to think this was the late nineties, early noughties. And I, I almost think in that kind of advertising world, it was considered um an approach to avatar, sorry, interviewing to be quite aggressive to see how you respond. Wow. Um, and I think I learned from that, that that's no way to interview someone to get the best out of them and to actually un- hear about them. So yes, yeah, so I, I, I never got a role in advertising, um, but I did, <laughs> but I did get one in PR, which is where I landed. So I ended up in a really small agency, um, which was just three other people. And I thought, oh, I'm in the glamorous world of PR. Uh, and then I was told what I was working on, which was uh, stain remover and biodegradable rubbish sacks. <laughs> and I thought, huh. And um, 
And the biodegradable rubber sacks were so efficient, they would just disintegrate before, you know, we'd open the press kind of stock cupboards and they'd all just be piles of, you know, black <laughs> plastic. That it just They were so efficient at disintegrating. So, so yes, yeah, so that was my first sort of foray into work. Um, quite an experience, but I did a year there and then I moved on to a much bigger agency. And I think that was where I learned so much and really cut my teeth. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, that's so fun to think about you in that role and just that first role out of school. Oftentimes, you know, it's just a great reminder to women that likely will not be, you know, your forever job. So to get that experience, yeah. And to step into it and to do your best, but then ultimately, wow, you were able to step into your next role, which was a larger firm. Tell us a little bit about that season of life and maybe what you learned and what were maybe some favorite favorite memories from from that? Oh, so many. I mean, it was a London agency uh, and probably, gosh, about 80 people working on brands like Nike, Barclay Cards, all sorts, big energy firms, big holiday companies. And and uh, yeah, I mean, I started at the bottom, and but I got promoted quickly. I, I was a real grafter. And, and I think anyone who's worked in a media agency, particularly in London or New York or, you know, they, they are fast paced. And I do think that's quite good training. And I, yes, I worked my absolute socks off, but I, I was, I was a real grafter. I did, it, I did get recognized and I got, I progressed very quickly um, in that role, but I learned so much there. I think they really invested in people mm-hmm. um, in a way that I hadn't seen in other companies to that level. And I, I just, I, there was also some really impressive people in that business. And I remember um, distinctly that I think he was the CEO. Um, there were a few kind of quite senior people at the top and they, and I remember him vividly because he was, he was just such a smart man. And I, he, I remember being lucky enough to attend some sort of high level client meetings with him, not often, but occasionally I was let in the room. And, mm-hmm. um, and I remember he, you know, there'd be 10, 12 people around the table everyone wanting to hear their own voice, you know, how it is. Yes. And he just listened and he listened for two hours. And then he, at the end, he'd ask some absolute killer, very pertinent questions. Wow. And then he'd think, and then he'd just think, and then, and then he'd come out with a solution that we'd all been grappling with for two hours. And I, I will always remember him because I, I've always tried to emulate him since, but I'm, and he, he was a listener and a thinker, but mm. he was so so smart and the way he built his business but and I've tried to emulate it I would say I'm not great in either camp of listening and thinking but it's that it's a good thing to aspire to I think wow oh yeah and to be able to look back on him and for that to be the memory you have of him that's really powerful and really cool to think about wow and we'll of course get into all things pie but for you to now be running a company and to be able to think back on that season and I think for those of us who are listening perhaps you're mid-career or you're looking to pivot there are people I'm sure in your life as well that you can lean on experiences with them in a boardroom perhaps and how they spoke or didn't speak as well, which is really cool. Oh my goodness. So how long were you at that uh, company? How long were you there? Gosh, I think I want to say about three and a half years. Um, And then from there, I felt, I I always sort of felt it was time to move on when I felt I didn't, I was maybe stopping learning or I just thought I don't care enough anymore. Mm 
Mm. And it wasn't because I think the company was a fantastic company. It was not about them. It was just more mm, time for something new. And I always did that. I would always move on when I felt, hmm, I don't feel passionately about this anymore. Mm. So um, from there, I actually went in-house PR to a very big Californian wine brand. Uh, Yeah. And I started in the UK and then later moved out to California to to work on that business. Um, And yeah, that was was just a, a brilliant company. And I think really was really instrumental actually because it was my first real insight into the inner workings of a business because I was mm. not on the agency side I was in house mm. and um family one business huge and I thought gosh uh, so I learned again masses there oh yes and here that you're in California I have yes. to love that a oh, little God, shout out <laughs> but I want to yes yes well you're always welcome I, I want to piggyback a little bit on something that you just shared because I think it's really insightful and I hope that it will be helpful to listeners because I love the uh gosh the explanation you just gave in when you were in a role and you felt like perhaps the door was closing there or you had learned what you could learn uh and then you were able to step into the next transition. Now some people listening uh or or coming up in their lives they may be facing that or they may be feeling that way now of you know, I think I've learned all I can here, or I think I've hit that, you know, glass ceiling. What would you say, what would be the encouragement to you, from you to listeners who are scared to take the next step? Like for you, you were able to go and, and then gosh, ultimately being able to move to California and have that experience. But what would you say to someone who's maybe, you know, holding on to a role that they know their time is up? I mean, I would always say, feel the fear and do it anyway, because mm. life is too short to be in a job that you're not feeling feeling mm. it anymore. You know, we spend a lot of our life working and I, you know, I've just, you've got to love it. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I also think nothing's forever. You don't have to ever do anything forever. And, you know, I always see that one, you know, when one door closes, another opens, it, it, you just have to be in the right mindset. So, and I, you know, I also think if you're getting to a point where you're feeling negative about colleagues or the company, you know, that that's the time There's no, don't complain about it. Just be, be the solution to the problem and just move on and, and, and find where you should be. Um, I think every, every, and from the employer's side, I think I would always want people to be happy. Wow. And, yes. and, and to, and to be doing what's right for them. And actually sometimes people, you're meant to only go on the bus for a, a certain period of that journey with that company. And then you're meant to get off the bus. I just believe that. Um, and that's absolutely fine. And that's great. And, and you'll just get richer and richer experiences and you'll learn more about yourself in terms of, you know, what, what are the things I'm good at? And what are the things that actually, I really love. And one of the things that are a struggle for me, that's Mm. all parts of, of, you know, a career and you're going to have, you're going to have missteps. We Mm. all have, (laughs) we all do. And that's absolutely fine and great actually. Uh, yes, just to reiterate what Sarah is saying, that all has been true in my short career that when time is up, 
Time is up. Got to get off the bus. I love that. Thank you, Sarah. Well, oh my goodness. Let's think about it. You are in California at this point and you're enjoying your role there. Uh, Gosh, what did that season look like? How long was that experience? And wow, I'm like so eager to kind of hear even as well, what's happening in your personal life uh, at that time? Because we have a lot of women who are working mothers uh, that are listening, maybe recently engaged, married. So you're in California. What? What does your personal life look like as you are running around? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I so I went there initially to do a maternity leave, actually. So I, I covered oh, the kind wow. of UK and Ireland, and then they said, come over and do this international role. And I said, great, of course. I had a boyfriend, but I part, beyond that, I wasn't, you know, completely tied to London. Oh. And of course, I grabbed it. So it was a, just a brilliant time. And it wasn't that long. I want to say it was I don't know, maybe three months. And I ended up being offered the role because the person didn't come back for maternity leave. So I was offered the role, but actually I turned it down because there was something profound happening in my personal life back then. And actually that was, it was when I was in California that my skin was at its worst actually. And, Mm. and that's how Pi came about. So prior to this, you know, for three years, I'd been living with a very difficult skin condition. Um, It's called chronic urticaria. Mm. It afflicts many people, but it is totally misunderstood and not often heard about, actually. People talk about eczema a lot. Urticaria doesn't get much much of the airtime, but it's a very common problem. It's sort of hives. But I had an extreme, extreme um, case of it that come on one night when I was mid-20s. So at, when I was in California, I'd already been living with it for a very long time, popping high-strength high antihistamines day and night, but had never been given... The, the any clarity on why I had it, how to manage it, I'd had to just live with it. And there was a moment, and I remember it so vividly. I was in a meeting. It was a really big, important meeting. I had prepared for it. I was nervous. And I, of course, because stress often brings on and flares up skin, mm, yes. I started to itch. <laughs> And I thought, oh no, it's coming. I'm having a flare. And I got really hot. And my that's a sign of my 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 condition. And I it had I'd obviously just completely sort of flared up on my face in weird ways. And and urticare is strange because it's called, it has this thing called demographism where your your skin can um just gets very raised. So I could write my name on my arm. It was amazing. Anyway, but I I sort of had these sort of weird lines all over my face. And my boss, who was just the loveliest man, but he was just quite blunt and said, oh my God, what's happening with your face? In front of everyone in the room, whole load of guys. And I just wanted to die. I was mortified. And you know, now, God, I wouldn't care at all. I would just laugh it off and (laughs) probably have a wise quip, you know, but but it just shows. I think that's a really good insight into my mind then because I felt so self-conscious and Mm. I felt very defined by my skin. And I think people listening to this who may have experienced challenge skin will know that feeling. I think if you've been lucky and you've never had skin challenge, you know, people just think, oh, you're a bit vain. <laughs> but it's not, it's not. It's really, it can be, um, yeah, it can It can make you incredibly self-conscious. And, and it was that moment I just wanted the kind of ground to swallow me up. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the moment, Emily, where I said, okay, no more. I can't do this anymore. And it wasn't about the job. It wasn't, wow. it was, I can't live with my skin like this and not being in control. Mm. 
Mm. And so it was that night I said, okay, I need to understand what's happening better. I need to understand why it's bad certain days and not on other days. I need to understand, you know, how I can manage it better because, you know, I'm taking these drugs, but they're only doing so much. And, um, and that changed my life forever. It was that moment that changed my life forever. And I started to document my life. I documented what I was eating. I was documenting the products I was using on my skin. I was documenting my sleep. Days I felt stressed, days I felt run down, how I was sleeping, where I was in my cycle. Wow. And, and I did it painstakingly. And that was that. I started to see patterns emerge and I started to self-solve. And I think, um, mm-hmm. and you've got to remember that my, because I just wasn't getting any med- medical help in that sense. They couldn't, they just, there was so much about skin we still didn't understand. Um, yeah, I just had to do that kind of joining the dots. And and yeah, it just opened up this whole world to me because, you know, with this, we're talking now, gosh, um, this is 20 years ago. And, and wow. you know, I think people didn't really think about, you know, I knew instinctively that the certain foods made me flare. Mm. And I'll tell you something ironic, wine was one of them. So I was like, I'm allergic to my job. <laughs> I'm allergic <laughs> to my job. I mean, I still drink wine and I love it. Um, and I love a Californian um, Pinot Noir, I'll be honest. But um, I, um, but I, yeah, I knew instinctively. And I think we're, as women, we are, can be very instinctive. And I knew there were things, but I was consistently told, no, these things don't affect your skin. It's, you know, you can't control this. And it was the worst thing someone could have said to me. Mm. And that was when I started to see these patterns. And I thought, okay, I'm starting to see what I need to do. And that was then when I had to, I couldn't use anything on my skin, very little. I would just puff up. And I oh. had to start to navigate kind of beauty aisles and pharmacies and try and look for products. And I was, it was such an eye opener because I didn't come from this industry. I'd never read an ingredients list in my life on a beauty product, but I was fascinated. I mean, I'd always read ingredient lists on food. Yes. I'd never made the connect. I'd never thought about doing it on a beauty product. And, and so I had to start to navigate these completely unintelligible ingredient lists. And I could start to know that there were certain ingredients that were common in products that I was using that I, my skin didn't like. Mm. And so I built and built and built from there. And that was when I thought, oh my gosh, this, this, it's so opaque for mm. people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I'm not getting the advice I need that's consistent or sane, but also I'm being really misled by products being sold to me and missold as mm. hypoallergenic, by the way, that's a completely made up marketing term. But you don't know that if you're not. And and also I then navigated ultimately towards natural ingredients and never ever, very seldom actually got a natural product because again, there's no regulation about how you use that term or organic. So that was that, Emily. I was like, people need to know about this stuff. And and I thought there must be other people like me. So I, le- so I ended up coming back to the UK and uh, and I left my job and started making products in my garage, bringing in natural oils. I did very basic courses on how to make a cream. And by the way, I was absolutely rubbish at chemistry at school. Like it was one of my <laughs> weakest subjects, but I had to learn chemistry. <laughs> um, oh. So it just, you can, this proves it's never too late. Um, you can conquer anything. But I did. So I started to just make products and um, for me. And that was that. I started to really understand about organic ingredients and organic farming, 
they had a transformative impact on my skin. And I thought, wow, okay, here we go. And that was how part the, the idea for Pi was born. So cool. And and from your story, I mean, that's amazing. And I knew that was, that was, of course, the key to Pi and its beginning. But to hear about just connecting the dots, you guys, I mean, Sarah's already shared, you know, social was really, really high on her list uh, during university and whatnot. And so I think it's so incredible. And you, you actually used a term just then that I haven't heard before. I don't think I have. So self-solve. So Mm -hmm. you had something going on in your life that, again, you had, and I I actually just got chills as I'm thinking about this. You had people in your life saying, well, this is how it's going to go. Well, good luck. This is just how it is. And you actually were like, no, no, this can't be how it is. Something has got to change. And it was really out of necessity that you moved forward and began figuring out, okay, how can I change this? And how amazing is it to think of of all that you've done? And even even adding in, like you said, chemistry was not your strong suit, but out of necessity, might I add, out of passion, you went for it and you figured it out along the way and have helped so many women since. So Oh my gosh, this is awesome. I am so excited. So you're literally, you're starting to create these products for yourself. You're you're learning, you're self-solving, which I just love that term. And you're making them in your garage. So are friends taking note? I mean, what did it look like for you to start to share what you were doing? I mean, I think it's fair to say that everybody in my life thought I had completely lost the plot. I'm not joking. I mean, they really, they they just, like, well, you've given up your, this brilliant job, which they knew I loved. I mean, the, the company that I left was just a brilliant company. I'd learned so mm. much. And they were like, and, and actually my, my late dad, I always remember he said to me, Sarah, you're going to miss that paycheck. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and then actually it was that, I remember that first month when I, suddenly there was no money in my bank account and thought, Oh dear God! Wow. There's, there's no this. This is not replenishing. And so yes, it was a really interesting time. But no, they did think I was pretty. They think they they really thought something had happened. I'd become a bit unhinged. Um, <laughs> and I did. And but I started making products. And actually, what's really interesting is is that I'd start to get them sampling it, and and they would give very honest feedback. And I would come up with different concoctions and things. And I was doing. I you know I'd, I'd done some some. I wouldn't say qualifications, but some courses on how to make you know, creams and, and I've done lots around how to, how do you do them legally and, and to a compliant level. Um, but I think what my big insight was, you know, I didn't know if I had a customer, I had a pretty good idea that I had, there would be people like me, but you know, mm. that's an assumption and you've mm. got to be careful not to assume that your customer's you, right? You could, I wow. think that's a really important one. But when I started to, to, as things developed further and, and the brand started to take shape and the business started to take shape, I cannot tell you how many people who I'd known for years would come up to me and roll up a, a sleeve or roll up a, a trouser leg to say, can I just show you something? Like, and they show me my rash. That sounds really odd. Wow. <laughs> um, can, yeah. you, can I just show you my rash? You know, and they'd have you know, nothing, you know, uh, improper. Um, and they would, um, they'd show me, a, you know, a rash on their elbows or under their knees, or, you know, they'd show me a bit of eczema. And they'd be people I'd known for years. I'd never known that they'd been suffering. Wow. And, and I thought, okay, so lots of people have skin frustrations and are just living with them and not taking control. And I do think that point you said earlier about, you know, that I was told, I was honestly told you cannot control this. 
Wow. And and again, I was, you know, 20 years ago, people were not, I didn't sort of complete that loop there, but people were not talking about the effects of stress and the effects of sleep and the immune system, but crucially gut, like what's happening in your in your stomach mm. and how that affects your skin. And I mm. instinctively knew all of these things were playing out in me. It mm. wasn't the cause, but they certainly were triggers. And nobody was speaking that language then. And that's mm. the language that I started to try and speak and educate people on to say, look, I've, I've made a cream. It's a lovely cream. It's going to come. But it's only one piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Like You have to go away and you have to do what I did. So that was when the consultation piece of the business developed. I mean, this is a few years on, but we started to do these free consultations, which we now is a big part of our business. They're completely free. But you just helping people to say, okay, stop, take stock, deep breath, right, let's go. And let's actually try and take some baby steps here and and go back to basics and Mm. try to get to the bottom of your skin because there's Mm. no, every skin's different. You know, there are commonalities, but actually, ultimately, your triggers are your triggers. Uh, so yeah. that's, yeah. You, I mean, you were really a, a kind of a front runner in the idea of there's more to my skin than the skin and to putting something on the skin or to taking medication for my skin. It's it's all of all of the things, if you will. Well, I'd love to know just just briefly, you know, for someone who's listening and perhaps they they're like, oh, well, she's really speaking to me. And if she was here, I would lift up my pant leg to show her my <laughs> my skin irritation or whatnot. But maybe, you know, it's sound it might sound overwhelming. So, you know, they're hearing gut health or they're hearing, you know, healthy food or or sleep, anxiety, stress. Oh my gosh. If, oh, you know, for those of you who are listening, you feel like maybe, you know, your anxiety is rising just thinking about all the different things you need to think about. Sarah, what would you suggest for someone who is at the very beginning of this process? And apart from grabbing some pie skincare, and I, I have actually used it and it is amazing, you guys. But apart from that, what would be your, uh, you know, tip for them? Uh, that's one of my tips I'll share. But what would be your tip for them to just begin? Just the tiniest step in the right direction to start talking about it um oh, wow. really honestly I, I, and i also think this you know it's t- i mean you thought you, you articulated that beautifully because it is overwhelming and and there's nothing more annoying than saying someone someone's saying to you you really need to manage your stress you're like mm. not helpful <laughs> right. oh, that's I'm really stressed. stressful you know and also it's very, you know very hard to to know how to manage your stress and and again you have to find the thing that that keeps you calm Wow. Ironic, sometimes it's a glass of Pinot Noir for me. Anyway, but <laughs> going back to the wine. Um, but I would just say to start talking about it. And, that, and you know, there is help out there. We offer this free consultation service. But actually, you know, the team is so well trained. They've been doing it for many, for a very long time now. And they're absolutely experts. Um, we'll even do them in French. But they, oh, um, cool. but we just listen. We spend a lot of the time just listening. And we get people to open up. And actually, it gives us lots of clues as to what might be going on. And sometimes... Honestly, I've been in consultations where I've said to people, you know what, I'm not going to, we we often don't suggest any products. So I've sent mm. people off to, to flotation tanks because I can see that there's oh. just re- real stress and I, I can see that they sort of need to do some sort of meditation or something, but it might not be their thing. And I, I remember very distinctly someone with psoriasis and it came from, um, some very deep rooted issues and mm. she went and she, I remember her, she did a series of floats 
I don't know if everyone knows what a flotation tank is, but you just basically lie in very salty water until you float. Mm. And it's a very surreal experience. Um, but she came back and said, I just, honestly, it's just transformed things. And I knew mm. that it wasn't, I mean, A, the salt might have been helping as well because psoriasis it can be helped by salt, but it, I knew it was the stress relief. Um, other people I've sent to acupuncturists, other people, I can remember one person very distinctly who was, and this is very relevant to this podcast, mm. someone who was really struggling with what she should do for her career. Mm. And she um, had this rash around her mouth. And we, I spent a long time with her trying to decide, you know, what was the best next step for her. Right. And one day at the end of the, I think I was talking to her sister because I'd helped her sister too. And I remember saying to her sister, um, you know, what, what, what does, what does, what does your sister do? And she said, well, she's, she's trying to be an opera singer, but she has such nerves. She has such um, stage fright and she mm. doesn't think she's good enough and so there's so much anxiety around that and of course the rash was manifesting around her mouth where mm, right wow. and people would be watching her sing in her mouth so it was you know you see these I've you know the amount of amazing skin issues I've seen that we've just managed to solve sometimes so simply sometimes it's just sensitized skin that just needs a different cleanser I'm mm. not joking it can that is I mean we that's a lot of people who are cleansing wrong mm. and you just get them on a, onto a cleanser that has no detergent base and then the skin goes back into balance and the skin is happy again. So um, I would just say actually sometimes the solution to your issue is so simple mm. um, and we just have to get there. So be be brave and take just take a deep breath and and you know actually when during lockdown it's been an interesting time because I've always sort of tried to encourage people this is the perfect time if you've been living with skin frustrations for a long time because it's a time where you're not you're not having to be in face to face meetings you're not going out socially and this is a time where you can you know just let your skin be your skin and just try stuff out and and do it in a very safe space. Mm. So it's quite, yeah, it's not a bad time. We have to find these silver linings to our situations. Yes. Uh, well, and our call today is a silver lining for me because you just kind of blew my mind and it's in the best way possible. I think I, I just, I could, I did not expect that answer. And I, I usually feel like, oh, I, I think I know what the guest will say. I did not expect your answer to that question. You know, I'm, I'm talking about someone who might have skin issues, but perhaps you're listening and you're, maybe you don't, maybe you have beautiful skin and, and bravo, wonderful. But how about that? start talking about it. So I just want to take kind of like helicopter back from that question. If, if perhaps you're not relating to, uh, you know, a skin issue or, or whatnot, perhaps there's something else in your life. And I just want to take a quick moment to encourage you that answer that Sarah just gave can cover a multitude of situations in your life. And I, I just, I have chills. I mean, so whatever that might be for you as you're listening and you're thinking about perhaps there's something in your career or personal life or something that you're struggling with, and and maybe it's not skin, but there is a struggle in your life, um, the encouragement from Sarah to just start talking about it, I think opens up the door. And again, uh, gosh, just to piggyback what Sarah's saying, uh, even the element of, of, yeah, quarantine and and this year, um, you know, 
just encouragement. If you're listening today and perhaps you're like, what on earth? I thought I was talking about skincare today. Well, Sarah brought it to a whole nother level. Just just if there's something going on in your life and encouragement to you today, start talking about it. Share it with somebody, whether it's skin, stress, anxiety, depression, tell somebody. Thank you, Sarah. That is awesome. Well, I'd love to get back to your story and hear a little bit more about the growth of Pi and what it was like for you to begin hiring people. And you guys have done so much in the realm of of vegan and organic skincare, but the examples you just gave are amazing, even the consultation piece. So I'd love to know, uh, was there ever a moment as Pi was kind of taking off or perhaps you felt like, okay, I think I'm onto something and I think I have a business here. Do you have a moment that you can think of that was just like, okay, this is going to work. We're going to do this. <laughs> um, one one springs to mind and it was, I mean, the business had been established a little while, but you've got to remember I started the business with no money. Right. So I, I, was, I was bootstrapped for many years and it was also 2008 really when the business launched um, when it, the, the global economy had tanked. Wow. Could not get any money from the bank. So I had to build this business brick by brick, customer by customer over many years and organically, really. So, mm. it, you know, it took a while to get traction. And I would just say to people, it can be slow sometimes. And, you know, someone said to me the other day, long is strong. And I was like, yeah, you know, we're not all going to mm. be the unicorn businesses that go from like naught to 100 million in a, in a day. You know, it's that's quite, they're called unicorn businesses for a reason. But mm. yeah, I mean, I didn't have access to cash. So coming, it was after Christmas break and mm. I had, believe it or not, redetached my retina. <laughs> I am, trust me, this is going somewhere. And um, I had also caught swine flu in the hospital getting treatment and I was wow. absolutely miserable and the, and the business had no money. Like we were very tight and I thought, oh, is this, is this, and I'm, I'm quite superstitious. I always love a new year. Mm. I think it's a very important time. And I, and uh, anyway, and I, so I started this year feeling actually unusually for me, very negative thinking, this is terrible. I'm dreadfully ill. I've been not pain with my eyes and th- you know, this is not good. And then my, my colleague called me up who helped make the products at this point, called me up and said, I've got, um, um, gastric upset. She said, I can't, oh. um, I can't, I can't keep food down. I can't come in. I said, you've got orders to get out. Anyway, long story short, but I was really worried about the health of the business and what we were going to do. And it is one of those things where you hit what bottom and then something happens. And trust Mm. me, I've been here so many times and then something happens and you go, Mm. okay. And what happened for me was, you know, I was really questioning whether the business had legs and I got a phone call. Uh, No, I got an email saying, could you call me? And it was somebody in LA, right? So I called up and they said, yeah, yeah. And it was an agent. Um, and they said, yeah, and they were chatting away about the Oscar, se- uh, the award season and getting their client ready. And, wow. and I didn't know who they were talking about. I had no idea who they were talking about. And I thought, I feel like they know, they think I know, but I don't know. <laughs> and but I didn't, I couldn't say it cause I thought I was sound like such an idiot. And then it got to the point and I thought, okay, this has been like 25 minutes now. I need to say something. And I said, sorry, I'm just going to stop you. Who are we talking about? And they said, Natalie Portman, she's your biggest fan. And then at that point, Uh, that moment, I went, I have a business. I have a business. It's fine. uh, (laughs) Everything is going to be okay. And it was that moment of like absolute what bottom to, okay, we're set. (laughs) 
and oh. and bless Natalie, she then went out, and it was the year she won Black Swan for she won the Oscar for Black Swan. And what you know, and it, this is how weird life can be because several years ago we'd been contacted by a. So our products are used a lot on film sets. The moisturizers are particularly good um, because people want organic, but they also want good, you know, and doesn't, and actually that, that makeup can sit well on. And, and we were really, really advanced in that. And anyway, so ages ago, we've been asked to, to supply a film set and um, they'd said to us, can you just write Black Swan on the box? And of course we had no idea what Black Swan meant. So, oh. so we looked back and we went, oh, do you think it was that? And I looked back and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um anyway so it's life works in mysterious ways but i think it, it, you have these moments and there's so there's always so many setbacks and so many personal setbacks but you know financial setbacks and there's always issues um mm. but then something comes good and i found that a lot in this business that just when you think oh this is bad and then something so, so that was the moment i thought okay if natalie if if, if it's good enough for natalie portman come on it's oh. you know there's gonna be other people who love it <laughs> Incredible, incredible. And that hindsight moment when you guys are looking, you're like, wait a second, didn't we write Black Swan on some boxes once? Yeah, honestly. Well, you hadn't even remembered it because we were like, Black Swan, that's a bit weird. So yeah, honestly. (laughs) That is so cool, Sarah. And of course, that's kind of a, a wow moment in your career to be able to look back on that and be like, oh my gosh. And again, you guys, I'm going to give you a chance to connect with Sarah. And of course, you guys are going to want to check out Pi. Uh, but before we do that, I- I'd love to know, and this is a loaded question, so consider yourself warned, <laughs> but what is the greatest lesson you have learned that you could share with my listeners? So many. It's hard to pick one. Um, I think if I had to pick one, it would be focus. Hmm. And I, you know, I've learned the hard way on this so many times that when you don't focus, you you just you have a kind of smattering business that you're not really, you know, you're doing bits and pieces here and there, but you become, and it's a brilliant term, I think, you become a busy fool. Mm. Um, because you don't make progress anywhere because you're just spread too thin. And that's not just on a personal level, but as a business, you have to focus. And I remember very early on, I didn't, I wasn't just going back to that listening. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't probably take it fully on the chin, but I remember, I think if you're an entrepreneur, you just, you see opportunity everywhere and you pursue mm-hmm. opportunity everywhere. So mm. I think if you, it is such a discipline for an entrepreneur to focus, but you have to, to succeed. And I, early on, I remember we had this very supportive bank manager and he came in and he said, I, he said, how's things going? And I just reeled off like 10 opportunities and this and this and this and this all over the world. And oh, it's so exciting. Oh. And he, and he said to me, you know, he's, he was really young, but you know, clearly very wise for his years but he looked at me and he said Sarah that's that's wonderful you know they all sound fantastic opportunities so which of the nine of those ten are you going to turn down and he and I just thought right it was so funny and I just was like what I'm not going to turn down nine out of ten he said pick (sighs) pick one Um, and it is, I mean, honestly, and that, that was a long time ago and it's probably something that I do keep coming back to because I've not been great at it, but I think the biggest lesson is, yeah, really focus. Don't be a busy fool. And particularly as your business scales and grows, you know, it is that cliche, but you can't work on the business if you're in the business, right? You have to find that mental band, that, that space to get the kind of bandwidth to think, um, and think about what are your big bets? What is going to take the business forward? 
where's your time best spent? But, yeah. if, you know, and it's something we're, we're doing again, you know, we're year 13 and we're going through this process again to go, okay. And we pulled all the heads together to go, how do we focus better? So, you know, it doesn't stop. You have to, you know, you, you come back to these lessons again and again, but I think that would be, I think that would be my main one just because I know the kind of the curse of the entrepreneur is, is that you just, you want to pursue everything. Could could not agree more. You're you're speaking to the perfect audience with me sitting here. <laughs> oh, that's so true. As an entrepreneur, it is it is very challenging. And what wisdom for him to say, okay, so what are we turning down so we can focus? And uh, a line that you just used, which I love: "Don't be a busy fool, you guys. Get focused. Think about what it is that you want to hone in on and go for that." and have it be just crystal clear what you're headed towards. Uh, well, within that same realm, I'd love to know, what are you actually learning now, currently in life? Well, it's been a really interesting year for the business in so many different ways. I mm. would say the main thing I'm learning is to keep going. Um, just keep moving. Don't do tomorrow what you can do today, because I do think this is a very strange time for businesses. Um, it does present opportunities though, but I, I think the thing that I've learned is just, and really looked at is a complete bias for action. And you know, this is not a time to sit back. We have to pivot, pivot, you know, and really, um, kind of up our game. And, you know, one of the things that we did as we were, you know, this is late February, we could see what was on the horizon and we thought, you know, what, what should we be doing here? And we, you know, we looked at our business and said, okay, but hang on, look, we've got three chemists, we have a lab, mm. we have our own manufacturing facility, which is also very rare in our industry. Yes. Um, and what and what should we be doing as a business? Not just what could we be doing, what what should we be doing? What's the right thing to do? And we decided that we knew there was complete shortage of na um, nationally of sanitizer, and we said, okay, should we just try and make one? So and we made one in two weeks. Um, and it was extraordinarily difficult because getting your hands on, on alcohol, we yes. never, I mean, we, we were a sensitive skincare brand, so we have a, a thing about alcohol anyway. We don't like it in skincare, but you know, this is needs must, right? So we had to find alcohol and, and also supply chains just completely broke down. And um, that's one of the virtues of making your own products. You have some, a bit more control mm -hmm. and we found old packaging that we could use. And we said, let's just let's just make it and let's just donate it. And we, so we made one batch and we donated the whole lot. Um, oh. And we invited people to say, we called it Acton Spirits because Acton is where our factory is. It's uh, part yes. of London and spirit was, you know, spirit in mm -hmm. many sense, alcohol and the spirit that we were seeing in our community. And we, you know, we donated it. And I think that was such a lesson for me because the, we invited people to, to request it. Mm. And we were absolutely deluged with the requests that tugged on the heartstrings so much that they were just, you know, it was, you know, just, I can't even list, you know, there were just midwives, people running autistic mm. charities. There were homeless shelters. There were nurseries staying open for frontline workers that needed to be protected. There were people in supermarkets on the checkouts who felt they were, you know, they weren't getting the stuff they needed and they weren't being protected. Mm -hmm. There were people working in the tube stations. There were people, you know, they were the van drivers. The, there were just all these people saying, please help. Mm. And we said, okay. And we said, okay, well, we've made, you know, several thousand units, but that's just not going to cut it. And that moment we said, okay, we're going to just make this work. So we, we've donated a lot. And I think we're at 20,000 units now 
which for a business our size isn't insubstantial, but we decided we were then going to move it to um, like a almost social enterprise model of buy one, donate one. So everyone who bought one mm-hmm. would donate one for them. Um, and then and and we just shifted our focus every time it, we felt that the need changed. So it then shifted to care homes because the care homes were really, there were oh, lots wow. of issues. And then um, we then moved to schools. So we wanted to help schools reopen. So my point being is, is that when you actually put your mind to it, you can, you can accomplish anything, and you. It's the that's a brilliant quote, by the way, from Back to the Future, uh, <laughs> George McFly. Uh, yeah. But it's so true, and I just I think it was this bias for action. We should do this, and yeah, I I, I think just keep moving, and yeah, mm. I, th- I think that would be my what I've learned. Yeah. Oh wow! Well, and two for you guys. I mean, that was really. Bravo to you, Sarah, because that was really at the beginning. I mean, for you to have the um, thought to move forward in that really before, I mean, February to be thinking about that, truly that's that's earlier than many uh, people recognized what was going on. So it's just- it's inc- Well, I will just say I will credit my husband because it was his, absolutely oh. his, his idea and impetus. Oh. So. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you, hubby. That is that <laughs> is really, really impressive. And it's just so fun. And I know, listener, you're enjoying this conversation with Sarah, but it's so cool to have been introduced to pie and to love your products, but to pair it with your story and then to hear your heart behind helping others. I mean, that really seems to be a theme in your career that you may not, I mean, I think you would say that, that that is a a true joy for you, but I'd like to give you a bunch of credit because that's kind of a theme that I'm hearing throughout your career and through your life. It's really, you know, through the consultations, even through beginning in February, looking around thinking, how can I help? How can Pi help? Um, It's really cool. And I know you have been busy, so not to add to the busyness, but I know you guys always have something new, something on the horizon. What is next for you? What's next for Pi? Um, masses. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, I do, yeah, I think I, my advice is always keep moving. We certainly have kept moving. We, I mean, we've just rebranded for a start. I mean, that was, that's been two years in the, in, the, in the works. But I think one of the things that actually has come out of COVID that's next for us is this um, leveraging exactly what I just described in terms of what we did for Act and Spirit was how do we use our unique our unique uh, tools of having our in, in-house manufacturer, lab, chemist, mm. um, how do we leverage that better? And I think that was what COVID shone a light on is, hey, we can do this and we can do it at pace and we can do it dynamically. And so we have launched this concept called Pi Labs. And yeah. it's where it's basically an innovation platform where we can um, I guess bring earlier stage ideas to market without the risk, right? So obviously they'll all still be properly lab tested and safety assessed, but you can bring an earlier stage product for customers. So we only sell them off our website. They tend to be lower priced just to get an, in generic, quite generic packaging so people can just try it. But the crucial bit is that it allows our customers to be part of the creative process. So mm. they can say, do you know what? I don't love that aroma or actually that consistency I love, it absorbs so well, but, you know, or whatever. And just to give us that insight and mm. rather than doing it at the end of a, you know, 18 month process when it's too late. So, and also it sort of enables us to stay really, really nimble with market trends and looking at fascinating ingredients coming out and saying, okay, this feels 
really special mm. um but also doing the important stuff so you there's this opportunity to have a lot of fun but there's also this opportunity to, to do this the important stuff so you know we're calling it our kind of covid collection but we did act in spirit <laughs> and we've just released a first of its kind serum hand serum that um is prebiotic so it restores the microbiome of the skin post sanitizer use so there's all this stuff that um we could do really quickly that they felt a need for mm. so yeah and it could be anything really and that's really exciting because i think it's about playing you know i said earlier you know focus and play to your strengths and all of those things is follow what your passion is about and we are passionate creators mm. Um, and I think that had got lost a bit over the years. You know, it's rare that you, to make your own products and formulate them. Many people yes. won't know that about the beauty industry, but actually most of your products are formulated by the same people and created in the same factories with minor alterations and just put in different branded packaging. So it's really oh. rare. We have we are very uni- we have very unique formulations. And I was like, and I don't think we'd fully a explain that or or really brought to life what we love, which is creating products, but creating products with a purpose. So exciting. Oh my goodness, Sarah, that's huge. That's so exciting. And I know my listeners will be eager to, gosh, and again, we're going to give you a chance to connect with Sarah. I know I keep teasing that, but you likely have already looked her up, looked up Pi and, and seen all that they're doing. Oh, well, Sarah, this has been so much fun. I think I could probably talk to you for a few more hours, to be honest. Wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> it really would. Uh, but I, I would love to know, is there anything we didn't cover that perhaps you'd like to I did think of another wow moment oh please share please, <laughs> um, please. which was and it is I think one of the things personally I'm not always good at but I think generally again it's common entrepreneur affliction is to not celebrate the successes as they happen mm. you can just you just go straight on to the next thing and and you've got to remember that this you're you're supposed to savor the journey rather than just always looking ahead at you know, oh. a destination, right? And you have to, you've got to save the journey. And and it's about moments where you can celebrate the successes. And, and 2016, we received a Queen's Award for Enterprise. And it, it was um, just such a moment. Uh, and my husband and I went to Buckingham Palace. There's a, there's a funny story there, which we forgot our photo ID at the palace oh. gates, we're trying to get in with that photo ID, but they did. We we managed to wangle. <laughs> get in. I don't know how. I mean, they thought we were idiots. We were, but we got into Buckingham Palace and um, I met the Queen and and received our awards. And I think it was just a really important moment for us to stop and say, "Look what we've achieved," and the very very special moment. I I'll say my my jaw is to the floor and thank you so much for not letting us wrap without hearing this <laughs> most amazing story. So that was actually an it was an award and then an invitation uh to come and and to meet the queen and you and your husband did so. Yeah, we did and and and, and many many members of the royal family and it, and it wasn't just us. I mean there were so many other businesses right. awarded for different areas. Um and so actually part of the magic was was I'll be really honest, and it was just incredible to be there, but it passed the magic was meeting those other business owners mm. because they all had just incredible stories to tell and insights. I mean, it was just it was just a shame was, I couldn't stay longer oh. uh, and talk to more people. But that was the magic, I think, was just being connected to these people that just all, you know, had just, yeah, some some really fantastic stories. 
to to be in that company even is kind of is wow a very humble we're like what are we doing here (laughs) I mean honestly we're like you know crikey what are we doing here oh that is that is so cool Sarah and if you're if you're ever in Los Angeles I'm going to deep dive that story with you over lunch please because that is I would love to I'd love to go out I need to hear what you are wearing I need to hear what you said oh my gosh that is so cool Sarah and absolutely I I you know what I think I'm just going to go ahead and actually crown you best wow career moment on how'd she do that thus far So that is a, a deep honor. <laughs> an honor, yes, yes. And I will have to find some some little award to send you a little crown. Oh, but how <laughs> awesome! Oh my gosh! Oh, oh my gosh! Well, th- I am like going to be floating away today after our conversation. I've just had the most fun with you. And again, people, you guys are going to want to connect with Sarah Pie. Everything uh, that she's shared today has been so inspiring and encouraging to me. Uh, and one thing we love, we love to do uh, on the podcast and, and how'd she do that is just encourage folks to to network, to reach out, to be brave um, and, and see who might be able to connect with you if you're a student looking for a new role, whatever that might look like for you. So I love I love to ask my guests, you know, when they come on, who do they know that could maybe come on and share their how'd she do that story? So the person I think would be brilliant for this is a lady called Cressy Wesling. And she has, I don't know if you want me to tell you why. Sure, sure. Okay, so she has a goosebump story um, in terms of how her business started. And you know, I, you know, my business was born out of a problem, or so was hers, but a Mm. very um, altruistic problem. So she has a business called Everson Cressy, and she was one day walking past a fire. Mm. station I was trying Mm -hmm. to find the word fire station (laughs) and saw a load of old fire hose just piled up and being thrown out and um she was sort of walked off and kind of then walked found herself walking around the block Mm. really perturbed thinking hmm and went into the fire station and said I hope you're not throwing that away and they said well yeah and she said well where does it go because it's obviously you know very Mm. kind of vulcanized rubber stroke plastic derivative that very durable, obviously, for what it has to do. And she, they, they said landfill. Oh. And she said, I can't, I just can't let that happen. I, I just can't let that happen. And they, she said, if I can find a use for it, can I have it? And they said, yes, but you have to be quick because it's being picked up tomorrow. Oh. And she said, okay, stay there. And she went and hired a van. <laughs> and her and her, husband, her boyfriend at the time piled all this fire hose into this back of this van, which sat outside their house. I think they were in a block of flats actually at the time, which is much to everyone else's annoyance <laughs> while she figured out what she could do with it. And I think what I love is just her absolute sort of, um, I just steal that she made it into luxury handbags and sold them in Harrods oh for £600 and with a huge proportion of the profits going to firefighting charities. Oh. Oh, and it is just the most, I just, I met her very early on in my pie Mm. life (laughs) where I was going to a women's um, kind of networking event. I used to go to a few and she spoke and I did my head goosebumps and I just thought the story was just poetic really. Mm. 
Mm, that is amazing. Cressy. Well, that is someone we will definitely need to be on the lookout. You guys can stay tuned for a potential conversation with her. And thank you so much for your suggestion, Sarah. That sounds fantastic. Well, I have been teasing this over and over again, and I'm sure my listeners have already ignored me and found you on social and online and pie. But Sarah, where can listeners connect with you? I'd probably say my Instagram channel, so Pi Skincare. So Pi is spelled P-A-I. People <laughs> never realize that. P-A-I Skincare underscore Sarah. And that's my, um, yeah, Instagram. Uh, or via the Pi one or the, the Pi Skincare one. Um, but yeah, oh. we'd love to connect. Awesome. Well, Sarah, again, this has just been the most fun conversation. I so appreciate your time today. And again, if you're ever in Los Angeles, you'll have to let me know. Emily, just stop me from coming to find you. <laughs> it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much again for inviting me on. Honestly, it was such a pleasure and so kind of you to, to invite, invite me here. Oh, well, likewise, and we will talk soon. Thank you all for listening to today's episode of How'd She Do That? I am Emily Landers. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily Landers and the podcast at How'd She Do That Podcast. Please join us next Tuesday for a new episode. Talk to you soon.